Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes and this is our 67th video cast and 57th podcast for the week ending January 29th, 2021. And we've wrapped up the trading month, first month of the year with the S&P down 1.22% and the Dow down 2.1%. Uh, and that may be cause for alarm when you consider the January effect calendar uh, uh, barometer that's been used for the years. A lot of people are citing that. Is that going to mean that the whole year is down? We'll be covering that, but uh, the answer may surprise you. So I'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Uh, and first, we're going to quickly do our media and cover the key points that uh, enables us to cover a lot of material in a short period of time. We've got a tremendous amount of great stuff to cover this week. Um, you know, many people have been emailing me and saying that uh, they're not covering the GameStop uh, enough in the regular media. Could you please talk about that? Uh, I'm kidding. That's all they've been covering. But uh, we will talk a bit about that and uh, quite a lot of opportunities coming up in coming weeks. So let's get started. First, I'd like to thank Liz Clayman and Jackie D'Ambrosi Scales for having me on Fox Business on Tuesday. And this was before the Fed meeting. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about the uh, pockets of froth in the market, uh, SPACs, IPOs trading at 30 times sales, call options at a record high, short squeezes, and just kind of sounded the alarm on caution, which I've been talking about since January 14th uh, in our TikTok until the stock market ghosts us article, which we'll uh, reference in, in this podcast and video cast. Uh, however, uh, I also wanted to emphasize that uh, we have sound footing as far as the economy goes. You know, in uh, September 30, uh, the end of September, the estimates for Q4 uh, earnings were that they would be negative 9%, which makes sense year on year in a pandemic. Well, now it looks like with 37% uh, and an 82% beat rate, it's looking like Q4 earnings will be positive year on year and estimates continue to go up. So while we are going to have this consolidation that I've been talking about for the last two weeks in the short term, uh, in the intermediate term, I think we're in great hands with all of the liquidity, with uh, great shape with all of the liquidity, with the economy improving, with more good uh, vaccine news coming out this week, which we'll touch on. Um, and, um, and that's that. We're going to grow earnings over 20% in 2021. Now people are, you know, I was talking five to six percent GDP in August. Now I've, I've heard a few people talk seven percent today, which is just amazing. So that's some good things. And Liz also asked about China reducing their liquidity. They drained about 13 billion of the liquidity because they're afraid about uh, uh, pockets of froth in their market. And you know, the thing that China has to be careful about, uh, certainly draining liquidity, uh, and they're doing so in part because the debt to GDP is at 266% headed to 275% versus us around 120%. Uh, but removing that stimulus too early, they did a record 3.6% deficit spending in 2020. They're now dialing that back to 3% already. It may be a bit too soon for them. So we'll see how that plays out. And the other thing that's starting to happen, which we have to keep our eye on, is the overnight rates in uh, 
China are uh, starting to spike up a little bit. So seven-day Shibor spiked up, and the one-day repo rate uh, also shot up this week. So we have to keep a little bit of eye on their credit over in China. Um, but the last thing that I covered with Liz, she was asking about the Fed meeting, uh, whether he would acknowledge a bubbles. I said, you know, if he's asked directly, he might uh, acknowledge that there are pockets. Uh, he, he kind of ignored, you know, uh, stayed away from that question the next day. Uh, but the point that I was making is what he would be likely to do is double down on low rates until it, inflation is greater than 2% for a year. Uh, and and uh, his goal has been to do nothing until 2023. The problem I pointed out is that I do believe inflation is going to come sooner than he expects, and uh, he expects it to be short-term high, but he thinks it will be transient because of the year-on-year -year comps, which makes sense. I think it's not going to be transient, and the two reasons I gave Liz were, first off, you have in the new package uh, an effort to get the enhanced unemployment benefits extended until September and increased from $300 per week to $400 per week. So in some states, that could be as much as you add that to the state, that's 800 a week, 3,200, uh, uh, well, four and a half weeks. So you're looking at a $40,000 a year run rate at the top end. And they want to add something in that you are not penalized if you refuse a job um, in, in the case that you're worried about COVID or, you know, it's a job that you could catch COVID. Basically, any job that has people, you can catch COVID. So basically what they're saying is if you don't want a job and you're offered a job, you don't have to take it and you can stay on the extended unemployment. So what's going to happen is we're already starting to see a little bit wage inflation, which started last year because why they had to pay up to get people to go on the front line with COVID, especially when it was severe. Um, and those wages are sticky. This year, it's going to be a little bit of a different story in that the private sector is going to have to aggressively compete with the government to lure labor back into the workforce as global pent-up demand is unleashed, as more important people get vaccinated, as the cases start to just fall off a cliff, as, you know, every week, you, you know, we're up to about a million and a half vaccines a day. Um, that's taking down one side of the equation. The, there's not going to be a lot of hosts left. And it, and it just starts to, as fast as it spiked up, it, you know, as a matter of fact, the case curve and GameStop <laughs> may be a perfect overlay. Uh, as quickly as it rose, once that buying power loosens up, I think what you're going to see is it, it can fall just as quickly. And that's why I've been talking about in my article and on TV, if you have a lot of profits in GameStop, you need to peel some off. Uh, you can press the rest. First, you got to take your own money out, take some profits out. You can press it, but, but you know, there is no natural buyer for GameStop uh, once all the shorts are pushed out because the, the ones that are left, their thesis is that it's, a BK or it's five or ten dollars a share. There's no price target on the street greater than thirty dollars per share. So there's no there's no bid, and we'll kind of unpack how we got where we are and where the buying came from because it, the buying power was actually not from the Reddit board. It was a derivative of that. So so we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, the second reason that 
inflation is going to uh, rise and, and persist is commodities. And that's also led by new policy from the new administration regarding restricting drilling on federal lands. So effectively, within the next 24 months, we're going to be um, importing again from the Middle East. Uh, we will not be energy independent once you restrict that. That affects about 30 to 40 percent of shale drilling. So the smaller players in the U.S. are going to go bankrupt. Tens of thousands of jobs will be lost. Uh, and uh, OPEC will be empowered. And and the, and for them, the beauty for them is they get to name their price again. Um, uh, under the last administration, they did not have that luxury. They actually had to go in to support the market because uh, there was abundant supply coming from the U.S. So um, uh, that commodity inflation will be material, and uh, that's, that passes through to so many different products that we purchase and plastics and all, all the different things and tires. So um, so it's it's not going to be transient. So uh, we have to keep our eyes on rates. But those are the two things that basically Powell has to to grapple with, with or without the $15 an hour national mandate on on um, on uh, minimum wage. Uh, you're going to see that competition for labor. And now you have, which is ironic, uh, big tech employees organizing. So the philosophy that um, and the culture of the companies actually created a situation where now their employees are adopting their culture and demanding uh, policies that are uh, very progressive and could dramatically impact their margins. So um, that will be an impact in terms of uh, wage inflation and uh, and whether they're successful in unionizing, which will be interesting in the case of Amazon. They're requiring the votes for unionization to be done live in person because they're concerned that uh, it won't be an accurate vote if it's done remotely or by mail. Um, you know, so uh, we'll see how that goes and, and whether uh, they're successful in unionizing at Amazon and possibly at Google, maybe Twitter, and several of these others, which um, uh, I, I, I just find great irony in, in, uh, in what's happening over there. Now, the other thing is Powell will keep his pedal to the metal on the $120 billion per month in bond purchases. And I think he's, uh, that's Treasury and mortgage-backed securities. I think that will remain until uh, unemployment is meaningfully below 5%. Uh, he's always had a pronounced commitment to avoiding the structural unemployment that we saw for many years after the great financial crisis. There was a forgotten generation of people that never really got back into the workforce and he wants to avoid that. So he's going to be fighting this push-pull. He wants to get that unemployment low, which is his priority. I think he's going to let inflation run, run symmetrically over 2%, maybe 3% for some time before he's forced to do something. But um, he, he wants to get the unemployment down, and I think he'll be successful. And if they get through some version of this additional stimulus, maybe it'll be half as much. Uh, that will also help his cause in terms of what he has to do at the Fed. So, uh, so that was kind of the key things, what we expected Powell to do. But I would focus on and keep your eyes on inflation, focus on sticky wages going up. And uh, and commodity prices going up and staying up doing, due to uh, new policies. Speaking of new policies, uh, the CNBC Indonesia appearance I had late last week 
with all the new policies of the administration and the proposals that that video came in on Monday so you can watch it under at hedgefundtips.com under featured on that's a pretty comprehensive explanation of what to expect in the coming administration yesterday I was uh, last night rather I was on CGTN with Rochelle Akufo thank you to Rochelle and to Camellia Kilowan for having me on the show and last night was actually all about uh, GameStop and I think it's important I covered a lot of what we did in the article but to understand what's happening and what are the ramifications how, how did the price go from you know effectively five dollars a year and a half ago to uh, almost 500 this week and the 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 summary is Main Street outsmarted Wall Street. And uh, I'm saying that with such a wide smile. I'm smiling so wide I could eat a banana sideways because it's nice to see the little guy win. They, they were clever and they uh, gamed the system in a sense that um, they've inflicted a tremendous amount of pain on a lot of big name hedge funds. And it's tough to feel sorry for the hedge funds that ca caught up. It's not good for anyone. Look. Hedge funds manage pension money. They manage, you know, a lot of retirement. So it's it's not good for anyone. But it is nice to see the little guys win here. And what they figured out that these short sellers should have been on top of is that the hedge funds were short 140% of the float of GameStop, meaning they were 40% more shares shorted than actually existed in reality. So they figured out if we buy the stock... We can push up the price and force these guys to cover, which will push the share prices up. However, they were retail traders. They didn't have enough money to impact this, the price of the stock in a material way. So what did they do? They all went out and bought out-of-the-money call options. So when you buy a call option, it's sold to you by a dealer or, or whoever sells it to you, have to hedge out their position. They call it delta hedging. So um, so let's say the delta of the option is 81. Uh, that, that, that basically means they'll buy um, you know, a smaller amount. They don't have to buy full full amount of stock to hedge the position. As the price moves up to delta 1, they have to add more stock every time. They have to keep readjusting and keep adding stock. So what was happening is all these retail guys went out. They said, we can squeeze these guys you know, push the stock, we'll buy a little stock, but we'll buy a lot of call options. They bought the call options. The dealers had to buy the stock, which pushed up the price, which got the re other retail people on the board excited to participate, but they too didn't have a lot of money. So they bought call options, which meant the dealers had to buy more stock, which pushed the price up even more, which meant the dealers had to buy more stock in order to hedge all of their short call positions and the short sellers then were getting margin calls because the stock was going up from all from all the stock that the dealers were buying to hedge out the call options that the Reddit guys were guys and gals were buying. So they were trying to cover, but there was no stock available, so it kept going up, which meant the dealers had to buy more, which got the retail guys excited to buy more options, which meant the dealers had to buy more stock to hedge, uh, which meant the more margin calls on the hedge funds, they couldn't find stock, and that's exactly where we are. And it really did stop until Robinhood shut down their buyers they said you can't buy it anymore and and that's you know genuinely unfair because these are some guys that figured out an edge and 
it was the first time they had a chance to make some real money, and they were. There was a guy on the board that turned $50,000 of options into $22 million, and all of a sudden, Robinhood just shuts them down. Now, Robinhood came out, and they reopened it last night, and they said, well, we, we had liquidity issues. We had to raise a billion dollars, uh, which you know makes a little bit of sense, but at the same time, uh, what it enabled a lot of hedge funds to do was get out at a lower price. They reopened it. It went up 70% after hours. It kind of stayed pinned there, and now they've restricted the buying again. So if not for Robinhood shutting these guys down, they probably you know, would be up. That stock might have gone up to six, $700 today, uh, $800 today, and it would have blown up a lot of hedge funds. Uh, but you know, some of these retail guys would have made 30, 40, 50 million bucks. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of interesting. I, I think it's very positive. It goes to show that if you do your work, it doesn't matter where you live because now the world is com completely democratized. Information is available. Obviously experience matters, but, um, that that's effectively what happened. So um, not enough stock to go around. And Rochelle asked me, was the goal for them to make money or destroy the establishment? You know, I read the boards. There is a lot of, you know, there are a lot of younger people that whose families went through really traumatic scenarios in 2008. So they are, in a sense, anti-establishment. Uh, and the recovery was very, very slow. It was a very slow recovery uh, post-Great Financial Crisis. Um, a lot of regulation slowed, slowed the recovery down. So there is a lot of screw the establishment. But I think it, when we back up, these are a bunch of you know young people that are, that are new, that are smart, that are hungry as hell, that found an edge and they pushed it and they outsmarted Wall Street and they should get compensated. So... The disappointment of what happened yesterday is like they should be rewarded for their work and they should be able to fully participate because we know that if the institutions were on the other side of the trade, there's no way the prime brokers would shut them down. So uh, that was disappointing. Hopefully over the weekend, they'll be required to open it up for these guys, let them finish out their trade. Eventually their buying power is, gonna, is, is going to uh, dry up and you know the thing the point that i made in rochelle's segment is you know bulls make money bears make money pigs get slaughtered we've heard that a, a million times if you're profitable on this you need to be taking some profits you know usually with when options go parabolic you want to take off 20% when it's up 5x take your money off the table and then every increment or so 10x take off another 30 40% and then you can press the last you know 20 30% cuz you've made so much money at that point why not let it run um, but you know going all in once this thing turns there are not going to be natural buyers because the hedge funds that are left standing that that raise the additional liquidity they need they have no reason to cover the stock until it goes back down to fair value which you know on a sunny day is no more than thirty dollars and more likely in the short term 20 or 10 and just as it overshot on the upside it could overshoot on the downside in the in the short term uh, so that's something to be very careful about um, 
And she also asked, you know, when when these prices go up, is it good for the company? It's only good for the company if they use the opportunity to raise equity, uh, cheap financing. And some of the companies are American Airlines. I think uh, AMC is raising more equity capital. So this will actually help a lot of those companies stay in business, keep jobs until they get through this and, and the vaccines get out and they fully uh, reopen. And then the last question she asked was, um, you know, what the regulators should do. Uh, Lee Cooperman always says reinstate the uptick rule. I agree with that. It will never happen because now there's so many high frequency traders. That's how they make their living. Uh, but that would solve the problem. Two, obviously, there should be no availability to short more than 100% of the float. And that, that could be done. And no, I don't think many people would argue with that. And then um, lastly, they really need to prohibit brokers from pulling out the rug, uh, even if they, the Fed needs to give them a short-term facility until the trade's clear. Uh, that needs to happen because uh, it's, it's, it has to be a level playing field. Otherwise, it undermines confidence. And it's just really going to make what are now, as of last night, was 3 million people on the Reddit board. Today is 6 million people on the Reddit board. And that's a lot of people who are trying to do their best and find a way to get a little edge here while they're at home and before the economy reopens. And to pull the rug out from them when they're just getting going, I think, is is genuinely unfair. So um, so that's that. And, and last lastly, just again, for those who are winning on that trade, these things are a rocket up. They can be a free fall down without a parachute. So take some chips off the table. And if the last 30% goes to zero, so what? If you've made 10x, 20x, 30x uh, on your first batches and you bank some of that, you live to play another day and you can keep compounding that over time. So uh, kudos to those who outsmarted Wall Street. Uh, you know, hope, wish you many more. And uh, that, that was pretty exciting to see. Moving, moving right along, um, I guess most of the questions this week were about GameStop. Want to thank Devik Jane. Devik Jane and Sriyashi Sinyal for including me in their article on Reuters. Uh, so that was ahead of tech earnings. Then the next day it was regarding uh, Sriyashi Sinyal and Susan Matthew for including me. Uh, I said, will it end? Oh, this was, this was a quote that was actually copied by a number of outlets, but they were asking about GameStop. GameStop, and I said, will it end badly? Sure, we just don't know when. Uh, the most optimistic estimate from the street for GameStop is about $30 a share, which would uh, be pricing in perfection on all of the most bullish initiatives of the company. So, you know, it's trading at three, four, five hundred dollars $500. We know where it's headed. It's just a question of when. And um, uh, Russell Hotton uh, picked that up at BBC News. Thanks for including me in your article. And lastly was yesterday, yesterday when they shut down the buying of GameStop, that's why you saw a rally in the markets because all of the carnage in the hedge funds and the margin calls stopped. So they weren't liquidating their uh, winners in order to pay for their losers. Uh, and what I said was if GameStop had kept going higher, that just means more hedge funds would have had margin calls. I think when it backed off a little bit, the market breathed a sigh of relief explaining the big rally yesterday. Uh, and then uh, today they reopened it and the market went down because you had more hedge funds. The other thing you're seeing is uh, Apple is a, is a very good tell. People were surprised, like, why did Apple have such a great quarter and the stock is selling off? Well, 
number one, it ran hot into earnings. It was priced for perfection. It was up 10, 15% in the last few weeks into earnings. So it was a buy the rumor, sell the news. That's number one. Number two, now you have that as source of funds. So the most liquid winners for many of these hedge funds are FANG, with Apple being the overweight because of what it's done in the last six, six or nine months. So that's becoming a funding source and that's going to uh, self-perpetuate as people race to pull cash out as their other trades unwind. So I would be on the lookout with uh, Apple, despite its fundamental strength that was priced in, it's now got a structural market issue uh, and I do think that there is going to be aggressive anger uh, over the weekend from the 6 million people on Reddit, and rightfully so, that there's going to be political pressure to reinstate the ability for them to play on a level playing field in the market. And if that's the case, uh, the hedge funds that are still stuck short are going to get pounded more, uh, which will help, which will um, continue the, the consolidation of the pockets of froth that we've seen uh, recently. and But I don't think it will be systemic. I think it's going to be a handful of funds that are going to be uh, punished. I think you're going to see, you know, 10 or 15 young guys, uh, you know, that made a few million dollars in options on, uh, you know, the cover of a couple magazines, and and then it'll be done. So, um, uh, and, it'll, and it'll be abrupt. So hopefully there'll be enough that pull the cash out and win and take the victory lap. Uh, but in the meantime, structurally, you have to look at the big winners. Why is, why are they going down? It has nothing to do with EPS or Outlook or guidance. They're a source of funds, and that's something to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. And I think that that's going to continue uh, on those names. So keep your eye out for that. All right. Now, the January barometer, that's Yale Hirsch at uh, Stock Traders Almanac. So people are worried, uh, S&P down 1.22%, Dow down 2.1% this week. Does it mean that uh, as January goes, so goes the year? Uh, historically, if the, uh, so, uh, so that's the hypothesis. Um, so if it rises, it's likely to rise by the end of December. And uh, conversely, if the S&P falls in January, then it will fall for the rest of the year. From 1950 till 1984, both positive and negative prediction had a certainty of about 70 and 90% respectively with 75% in total. So uh, up until 84, if you had a negative January, it was a 90% chance you ended the year down. After 1985, however, the negative predictive power had been reduced to 50%. In other words, it had zero predictive power at all. So that is something to keep in mind that it's embedded as a like a uh, urban myth. It no longer holds true. It's as good as a coin flip on the negative. I, I think the positive still has some predictive power. The negative uh, hasn't since 1984. So keep that in mind as you hear about the January effect for the next five days uh, moving forward. Uh, we got some good news on the market regarding uh, Novavax. Uh, put out some phase three data this morning. So that's another player. And uh, 89.3% effective in phase three, 95.6% effective against the original. Uh, so 89.3 was against the UK virus, 95.6 was against the original COVID strain. 
However, J&J, for their single-shot vaccination, it's 100% effective against death. So, you know, if you take the vaccine, you're not going to die from COVID. Uh, but it was not, it was only 66% effective in preventing moderate to severe COVID. Uh, and the expectations that were that it would be 80, 80% with one shot. So I think it's still great if we can get millions of the J&J and get people to that level. Like, they're not going to die and they're not going to get a severe case. Um, that's still very positive, although the market didn't love it this morning. Uh, other more headwinds, tailwinds. IMF says fiscal support needed until recovery takes hold. So they're pushing on, on the U.S., uh, getting behind the U.S. because we fund them to um, spend more money so the rest of the world can can help recover. I, I think it makes sense that we do some additional stimulus for sure, certainly to the people that have been hurt the most to no fault of their own um, moving forward. And I'm sure they'll get something done uh, in the next couple of months to, to facilitate that. In the meantime, we just passed $900 billion. That's not even aggressively in the system yet. The other thing I saw yesterday, I put out these daily indicators, the equity put call ratio, 10 day moving average. And this got down pretty low. And as you can see here, pretty much every time it gets down that low, uh, you do get some consolidation and correction in most of the cases. So here you had this pullover and we're getting it here too. Got it a big time in 2000. So every time you see these troughs, the market kind of rolls over a little bit. It's because there's too much complacency, too much call buying versus put buying. And uh, and here we are at stage one. Now, Ben sent me an ask me anything question. Uh, you can email me each week. I try to cover a couple. And he said, hey, Tom, what sectors are oversold here for which you expect a bounce Monday? Uh, XOP, which is exploration and production. DFAN, which is uh, defense and aerospace. Real estate, uh, IYR. Thanks, Ben. So I don't care about what bounces or doesn't bounce on Monday. Um, you know, if you're doing day trading, there are a lot of services out there that can help you with that. That's not my game. Uh, so I, I can't be helpful for what's going to happen on Monday. You know, get a coin, flip it, and heads or tails, and that, that's what will happen. Now, if you're asking what sectors should I be taking a look at as opportunity on weakness in coming days and weeks to add to for the next three months, six months, nine months, uh, or in some cases, three to five years, if you really want to build wealth, that I can be helpful with. And that, uh, I think the best bang for your buck, as I covered in the article this week, right now, based on today's valuations, is defense and aerospace. Uh, they're a laggard sector from last year. They're really undervalued today, even if the market goes lower, even if they go lower, they will be even better values, but they're great values today. We've been adding. Uh, and then uh, we love banks and energy, which have had a recent uh, huge rally in the last few months. They're now resting. I think they're going to rest a bit more in coming weeks. And I I'm not sure if they'll come down low enough where we're going to add a lot. We're certainly going to hold through this. Uh, well, we're going to hold for a long time because we had the opportunity, generational opportunity of a lifetime to buy it in the last uh, six months. But uh, if they do come down more, we like banks, uh, we like energy. Uh, this is a fantastic opportunity. And even if you're if you're buying on a one to three year basis, you can buy right now, even if it goes lower. 
Um, so those are the three sectors with now our heavy focus on defense and aerospace, and particularly after hearing the earnings from Raytheon, General Dynamics, Lockheed Martin, Martin this week, and getting a sense of what the future holds, uh, we're very, very excited. And if you remember from my first week uh, with Liz Clayman right after the new year, I put out our top four picks for the year were Wells Fargo, ExxonMobil, Walgreens Boots Alliance, and Raytheon, and they've all had great months. Um, but on a sector basis, that that's where I'd be 100% focused right now in the short term is defense and aerospace. The uh, ETF, they have a number of ETFs. I think uh, ITA, they have one with leverage, which is more dangerous and volatile, but uh, certainly can give you more returns which is DFEN, obviously talk to your financial advisor. This is opinion, not advice. I only deal with accredited investors and qualified institutions. So, um, you know, do your own due diligence on that. But the sector as a whole or taking individual names, you know, take a look at the top weights of ITA or I think there's another ETF XAR if you want to go individual names. But uh, I think that's where the opportunity has been. But my suggestion is don't play on a day to day basis. Um, I mean, or if you do find an expert in that field that consistently makes money over a long time and, and follow them. But, uh, that's, a, that's, that's, uh, it, it's much easier. Just take a little longer view, be patient and you'll make a ton of money. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my best advice. Just be patient, find things that are in pockets of dislocation Add over time, you know, you don't have to buy it all on Monday. You can buy a fifth, and then if the market goes down more, buy a fifth. If it goes down more, you know, in a week, buy a fifth. And and then just relax and sit through the volatility. And then by the end of the year, you're going to be like, wow, what that was fantastic. And then the end of next year, it's even better. So we'll talk about some of those. So so the, this is an indicator that's starting to give. We've gone through a number of indicators in the last uh, two weeks that uh, led up to this. And now we're seeing that. So where do we go from here? As I said, I don't think this is going to be a huge thing. I think this uh, GameStop thing will help give us the rest in the general market that we've been looking for. You know, maybe we go down to 3,600, uh, you know, worst case 3,400. I, I don't think we're going to get that low. I, I, I really don't. I mean, hypothetically, you know, I looked after, after hours, there are a lot of overstock, oversold stocks that looked pretty attractive here. I mean, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we got a bounce on Monday that draws a lot of money in where they think it's over and then we roll back over uh, and get a little real weakness and consolidate for a few more weeks. I think that's more probable, uh, you know, somewhere between 36 and 3,400, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be that painful. I think it's just going to be time. I think it's going to be up down for a while until the market finds its footing. We get through earnings, we get through guidance, et cetera, but we are getting the weakness that we anticipated and that's created fantastic opportunity in those sectors that I've outlined for Ben. But Ben, all I suggest, just take a longer term view and don't do it all at once. Don't do it emotionally. Just step back Wow, this beautiful defense name is down 25% off its recent high. Let me low, you know, let me add a bunch here. This energy stock is down 20%. This bank is down 15% off its recent high. Let me buy some for the next three years. Don't, you know, do that game and you're gonna just build up over time. You know, if you try to do it overnight, you lose your seed corn and then you never get ahead. So 
that's that's my best suggestion. It's opinion, not advice, but um, great question. I hope that helps on a sector basis. Uh, okay, Chamath Palipapatia, he was on uh, a halftime report uh, this week. He had quite an animated interview with uh, Scott Wapner. You can Google that. But he put out a tweet, and he had some uh, interesting information from a prime broker. Number one, it was the biggest four-day degrossing from hedge funds they've ever seen. So there is some carnage happening uh, because uh, Main Street outsmarted Wall Street. And they went short stocks that were 140% short interest. That's like rule number one in risk management. But anyway, it happens. Number two, uh, multi-strats lost this week. Traditional long short guys this week. Hedge funds down anywhere from high single digits to 25% year to date. So that's where you're going to see the unwinding of, you know, I, I can't imagine how a hedge fund's down 25% year to date, but it's happening and they're going to be selling their winners. And the biggest winner is Apple. And so there's going to be continued pressure on that. That does not go away overnight. So that's why I say if you get a bounce on Monday, Godspeed, but uh, it's probably a fake out like yesterday. I, I think, you know, it's really at this stage going to be dependent. Do they, do they level the playing field and let the retail players play? If they do, they're going to inflict more pain on the hedge funds. Uh, if they don't and they lock them down, then, you know, the hedge funds will still have to degross and, and, uh, uh, recover from, from their error. So, um, and the, uh, and the markets are down two and a half percent. So retail is buying as the funds are selling into. So my guess is a lot of people are saying, wow, you know, uh, Apple's down, you know, whatever it is, five or six percent in a week. Maybe I should uh, buy here. I think you got to wait for these things to settle, especially the high flyers, the ones that haven't really participated, like defense and aerospace. I think that's the, you know, the opportunity is going to come much quicker. Um, you know, some of the energy and banks have come down. I think they probably still have a little bit more, but you can start to selectively nibble and add into the weakness over the next uh, days and weeks. And we'll be through this quickly. We'll finish the year higher. The January effect will not. I'm still of the opinion uh, that we started the year with. We're probably going to have a mid-teens year, uh, which would be uh, fine. And uh, all, if not most, if not all, the weakness we're going to see is going to come effectively over the next six six to eight weeks. Uh, I think it will be the brunt of it uh, based on seasonal trends, election trends, which we've gone through in, in recent weeks, and, uh, and the fundamental backdrop. Uh, this is an interesting article uh, in Market Watch by Barbara Kohlmeyer. She usually puts out bearish articles, but it caught my eye because... Um, she said, get ready for a 10% drop driven by the three R's warns Bank of America. Why I was very interested in this is because the analyst was Michael Hartnett. He's the same guy who does the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey on a monthly basis where I put out the summary. That's one of the most important things I look at every single month. And his, his three R's leading to the 10% is rates, regulation, and redistribution. So that was related to what I said last week. The volatility could, the imminent volatility would come from uh, arguments over the stimulus or coming, being smaller than expected or coming later than expected. All of those things are happening. Uh, we thought it was going to come right away. It's now going to come, you know, earliest in March. Um, it's going to be much less than 1.9 billion likely, 
and um, uh, and now there's going to be talk about tax the rich. So um, AOC is on Twitter talking about that. She's selling $70 shirts that say tax, tax the rich, making an 80 85% gross margin on those shirts. By the way, uh, every progressive is a capitalist at heart. Never forget that. <laughs> but um, leaving that aside, uh, so he's he's talking about uh, you know rates going up uh, and uh, increasing regulation and re redistribution. So so just the expectation of taxes going up, which by the way the average tax plan takes 15 months to get through, but the market will start to discount that towards the end of the year if the corporate rate's going to go up, and the hope is that the additional stimulus will come sooner than that and start to offset what would be lost in S&P earnings. So moving the corporate tax rate up to 28% would take $20 off of S&P earnings. That's not priced in. Um, but the hope is that the you know couple trillion of stimulus, maybe a, a couple individual trillion dollar stimulus and green packages would offset that lost earnings power uh, before it went into effect before the midterm election. So something to keep in mind here and you know, he's he's basically just talking about heavy flows into equity over the past 12 weeks with a record $272 billion into stocks, third largest inflow into emerging market debt and equity over $90 billion, second biggest inflow into small caps over $28 billion, uh, et cetera. So, you know, we, we've talked about all these and we're, we're getting the effect of that. Um, short sellers down a net $54 billion on U.S. positions so far this year, data provider says. Um, and losses on GameStop shorts at 1.03 billion. So uh, it goes uh, 10 most painful losses for short sellers year to date. Tesla, Plug Power, uh, GameStop, Viacom, Carvana, Bed Bath & Beyond, etc. So it goes through that. Uh, so this is all being unwound and that doesn't happen in a day. Moving on to sectors, uh, last week I said that uh, energy companies would benefit from the new regulations and that as they, you know, they, many of them moved up 50, 75%, some 100% in, in Q4 into Q1, they had a monster, monster move, now they're resting for a little bit, but I said what will happen as they perform and start to become a slightly heavier weight in the indices, all of the pensions and the big money that have, when they were down and not performing used climate change as their excuse not to invest in the companies and the weighting in the index, as they start to outperform, they're going to need a reason to get back in because as they outperform, their weight in the index goes up from 2% to 4% to 5% to 6%. And if you have no exposure to a group that's, you know, going up 50 and 75 and 100%, you will underperform and you will lose your job. So um, what the energy companies are starting to do, I said they would change the narrative and they would start to say, we'll be carbon neutral by 2050. And what that does is it gives cover for pensions to start to put money back into the sector. And more than anything, what's underlying this, which I say every week, is opinion follows trend, and it will be no different this time. So we saw that in recent weeks. Occidental claims that their green push does more than Tesla. I put these out on Sunday. Uh, you can see that, you know, they're saying they're uh, pumping CO2 back into the ground and 
they're net better than Tesla, so you can read that. ExxonMobil is doing its part to address the dual challenge of ensuring the world has the energy it needs while also minimizing climate change risk. They talk about their carbon plan. Uh, we're charged up. Suncor is doing uh, uh, charging stations all over Canada, so that will offset their, their carbon. BP sets ambition for net zero by 2050, and Shell unveils plan to become net zero carbon company by 2050. So they're all going to have their plans to 2050, and that's going to enable pensions. Oh, okay, I see how you're going to shift over time. I want to invest in that because you're going to lead the way to a clean, green future, and uh, all that money will come off the sidelines back in after they're up 100%, of course, but that's okay. They'll still make a ton of money because this is going to be a three to five year move, and the uh, new restrictions on the industry by the new administration will only help their profitability for the big players that make up uh, the heavyweights in these sectors. So that's that. Energy was the top performing sector in the month of January, coming in just shy of 5%, followed by healthcare, real estate, utilities, consumer discretionary, and financials. Uh, Staples was the worst performer uh, we suggested last week that they would bounce, and we'll talk about the, the moves they've had uh, over 10% for a number of them uh, since we put that out, and we'll talk about why we put that out. So that's that. More on exploration and production. The earnings. I know a lot of people don't like to talk about fundamentals anymore, but this, the top 30 weights of the exploration and production subsector, uh, that the earnings power has risen by 42.13% in the last 60 days. That's 2021 earnings power. So you can take a look at that. You can find all these earnings by sector. Just uh, scroll down here on the right side of hedgefundtips.com. You would click on exploration production earnings revisions, and this would come up, which was done this week. So that's a big jump. Exxon reports on Tuesday. That will be a big tell uh, if they're anywhere close to as... Um, helpful as the Raytheon earnings call was, uh, I think we'll be very pleased and uh, perhaps the rest will be less than many weeks and, and maybe they'll be able to uh, start to regroup and pick up steam again sooner than later. Uh, Slumber why this analyst has growing confidence in an international inflection in Schlumberger. So they got an upgrade by uh, Chase Mulvale this week, uh, increased the price target to 31 uh, moving on to banks, Wall Street is still betting on Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo got yet another upgrade this week. Price target $40 from Credit Suisse. This is an article by Carlton English over at Barron's. So you can pull that up uh, by the title. And then uh, moving on to the defense sector. Remember, my top three sectors for this year, well, and which started last year, banks, uh, I'm sorry. Well, defense and aerospace, I think, is number one because banks and energy have already had huge moves. They're resting now. They're going to regroup and then resume higher uh, um, before the end of the year. But um, defense defense and aerospace is, is now. Banks on weakness, uh, you could start to nibble and, uh, and energy as well. So um, Raytheon solid earnings offer hope for aerospace suppliers. The other thing that was good about Raytheon, which you're going to see more and more of across the board, is the Raytheon CEO says the company will, quote, load up on share buybacks in 2021 after strong fourth quarter earnings. So they're just generating a ton of cash. Uh, they took out a lot of cost synergies from their uh, um, uh, merger with um, United Technologies. 
Uh, GE also improving cash outlook sig signals uh, new traction for a turnaround. The big story here, so why the group has been trading uh, lagging is because the defense budget is flat. Um, the story with these stocks, though, is not necessarily that, although I think the defense budget is going to go up and I think there are going to be a lot of catalysts for that, um, is the commercial aviation recovery in the second half. And I think uh, people are just way too pessimistic. It's going to happen much sooner than expected as these vaccines continue to roll out. And um, uh, it's, it's literally going to hockey stick. You couple that with their backlogs new orders that are going to come on and potentially, you know, then you've got satellite business, you've got uh, the, the space business emerging in a major, major way. And probably the defense budget goes up as tensions rise. So a uh, couple things happening. Uh, Biden bolsters North Korea team with North Korean, with uh, Korean American ex-CIA agent. Uh, Pox appointment come as talks between the U.S. and North Korea remain stalemated. And Pyongyang continues to bolster its nuclear and missile arsenal. So expect um, expect some some missiles fired uh, and some tests of the new administration, which always happens usually in the first hundred days. Uh, Putin warns in Davos that of global tensions similar to 1930s in Davos speech. So more political tension. You're just going to see tests of a new administration. It always happens. Uh, it happened in the last administration. It was quelled very, very quickly. Uh, and, uh, you know, Putin's talking about hot conflicts and we have to be wary, etc. You know, this is a big thing, actually. Israelis say they will attack Iran if Biden returns to U.S. nuclear deal. He's basically said he's going to return to the nuclear deal. So uh, that could create tension in the Middle East again. That's another reason to pay attention to defense and aerospace. It's also a major reason to pay attention to the energy sector. Uh, moving right along. <coughs> so you've got North Korea, you've got Iran and Israel, you've got Russia and Chinese. Uh, this is a headline from the Financial Times. Chinese warplanes simulated attacking U.S. carrier near Taiwan. So these Chinese and Taiwan tensions will be retested and we'll see how the administration reacts. Uh, but all of these things point to an increased defense budget. And, um, and, and more than anything else is attention to a sector that was left behind that is now going to go from laggard to leader in my view. Uh, moving right along, this was the article we put out on the 14th, uh, TikTok until the stock market ghosts us, people were ebullient, uh, equity flows were record highs, call option buying record highs, and um, we pointed to uh, as hot as the market was, the laggard sectors relative to the leader sectors, meaning small caps to tech, emerging markets to tech, financials to tech, defense to tech, and energy to tech, home builders to tech, and value to growth were just getting started on a relative basis. These were generational inflections, and I still believe that. So uh, as the market rests, these are the areas that I want to be focused on for the next three to five years. Not exclusive of tech, but just overweight relative to tech, because I think they're going to have the opportunity to be outperformers. And that's also systematic of uh, modest inflation, modest rate rises. That's where value and cyclicals and banks and all of these uh, 
companies outperform. Tech outperforms a low rate, slow growth environment, so uh, which we've been in since uh, 2009 effectively. So that, that was the article. Here's what's happened since. So um, we went down the next day and then we um, rallied on expectations of uh, tech earnings and now we're down basically 3% in the last two weeks since we put out that article. That was a very unpopular article at the time. Everyone was ebullient. And uh, now we're starting to get the consolidation that we anticipated. And uh, we think, you know, it, it, we'll get some more opportunity in coming days and weeks uh, to add in some of the sectors that we've talked about and take advantage of this uh, early business cycle opportunity. This was the article of the week, the 50 cent in the club stock market and sentiment results. Uh, this was a song by 50 cent, the famous rapper on in his album called Get Rich or Die Trying. And I paralleled the Wall Street Bets stock board on Reddit to being in the club. And I suggested to the people that had been successful in outsmarting Wall Street to um, get rich, don't die trying was basically the message. Like if you've made money, take some chips off the table. Uh, or, you know, you'll wake up one morning when the squeeze is done and the buying powers are done, but buying power is done, dried up, and the dealers are done buying, uh, and only the strong-handed shorts are left, that, you know, it was a rocket up. It could, I don't know if you've been to, uh, I've got, uh, six and eight year old daughters. We, we went to Disney world. Um, I think it was last year. And one of the parks, I think it's the universal park or whatever it is, has this great ride called tower of terror. And you go up this haunted house all the way to the top and they put you in an elevator with a bunch of strangers and they basically just drop it. Like, you know, it just drops straight down free fall. And that's the kind of activity you could see in a game stock once once it's up. And that doesn't mean that if they, you know, and we can't tell right now because we don't know if it's a level playing field. So if they allow retail to buy, then you're going to see it probably plow up to without restriction. You know, enabling people to buy two shares is a joke. That was their proposal today. Um, but if you see that, you might see one last gasp up to 700 or, or higher. But one, once the game's over, there are no natural buyers in the stock. And, and the 6 million people on the Reddit board, while a few of them might try to buy stock on the way down, thinking, wow, if it was you know cheap at 700 going to 1,000, it's really cheap at 500, and it's even cheaper at 300, and super cheap at 100. The problem is the intrinsic value of the stock, once, once all of that is washed out, is, you know, in, on a sunny day, 30 bucks a share. So um, there there won't be natural buyers in the market. And the shorts that are left, they have zero reason to cover at 300, 200, or 100. They will hammer it down and it'll probably overshoot on the downside as it shot on the overshot on the upside. So, so just don't die trying, just get rich. Don't die trying, that's my suggestion. Um, we talked about inflation. Uh, this was a chart out by Ryan Dietrich about the greatest bull markets ever. The basis of this was as much as we've moved off the lows, uh, we you know the average bull market is 64.5 months. We're only 10 months in, and the uh, 
you know, average ret returns are over 172% and we're only 72% uh, in. So it just showed that it's nascent. The other thing that I talked about uh, sometime in the past podcast was that you could see a flattish market for a lot of the year and the way to make money is going to be the rallies under the surface. And that's why I'm trying to emphasize that the last shall be first and the opportunity is going to be like you could have the market literally grind because if Apple keeps getting deleveraged to fund the margin calls for hedge funds, that's a huge weight in the S&P 500. So the market could go down to nowhere, but these laggard sectors could be rallying 20, 30 percent under the surface and the S&P looks like it's doing nothing. So this is going to be an opportunity for stock pickers. And with correlation so low, by the way, that's the next thing we're going to talk about. Uh, while this is, you know, historically, this is just another indicator that was put out on Bloomberg, um, de declining stock correlation as an indicator of imminent weakness. So each time that, meaning the stocks don't all move at once, the same way, it was indicative of um, imminent weakness in the stock market. And sure enough, this, this one has proven to be correct as well. It's also the opportunity where stock pickers can excel you know in the 70s the market you know it was an inflationary environment the market basically went nowhere and the stock pickers like gabelli and lee cooperman and that uh, all the guys of that ilk warren buffett they made fortunes as the market went sideways because the correlations were low and you got an icon and you made fortunes picking stocks and if this low correlation stays well it, it, it's here for this year this is a tremendous opportunity for us to take advantage of the right sectors and the right stocks within those sectors that'll do well based on the backdrop which we've gone through. Right now, those stocks that are excelling uh, are uh, the most shorted stocks. So they've gone parabolic in the last few months. But you know that's actually very common in a new business cycle. You don't want to be short the most shorted stocks at any point in time uh, necessarily, but certainly in a new business cycle when you have that wash of liquidity and stimulus uh, that takes off. We also put out last week um, that we thought, you know, in concert with us getting more defensive, we thought that uh, staples and utilities would get a bounce. And sure enough, they have. Here's General Mills is up 13% in the last week. Kellogg was up 11.5. They backed off a little bit, I think, today. Uh, Kimberly Clark, uh, 8.49. So staples and utilities will do well when the the rest of the market is uh, doing less well. They're defensive. So uh, so that should probably trend for the next few weeks as we go through this consolidation and reset. The bullishness came down a little bit on the AAII sentiment. If you're on the podcast, we'll get cut off in a couple minutes. Just go to hedgefundtips.com, watch the video cast. You just forward the YouTube video to minute 60, and then you'll pick up the last 10 minutes. Um uh, so that was that. The bullishness is coming down, so the market's starting to come down too. The fear and greed was 40. It's probably a lot lower today. I didn't get a chance to look at it before the end of the day. And the National Association of Active Investment Managers hit an extreme 112.93. That's backed off. I think I saw today it got down to 85. Um, so the key here is this consolidation, it doesn't have to be extreme. Price can correct in time or in price, and the stock market rather can correct in time or price. I think we're going to get both. I think it's going to be you know a number of probably weeks of choppiness. There will be some stocks that rally under the surface while the market does nothing. 
uh, or even goes down. And this is really a great final opportunity for many people that missed the huge rally uh, over the last eight months. Those laggard sectors on any weakness, these are, you know, certainly cyclical buying opportunities, if not generational buying opportunities for some of these names. So uh, we'll use it to our advantage and uh, hope you take advantage as well. And I uh, concluded with to the Reddit traders, you know, take some chips off the table while you can and go sip Bacardi like it's your birthday. That's a line from the 50 Cent song. So that was that. Um, the other thing in last week's article, one of the indicators we pointed to was, uh, well, one of our worries was the dollar getting a bounce. It did start to bounce.